Uh, well, it's award season for the film industry at the moment, and tomorrow, uh, the most prestigious of them all, the Academy Awards will be handed out for another year. Uh, now, I don't know if last time you tuned in to watch the Academy Awards, but for people who are actually in the entertainment industry, it's kind of ironic that their awards ceremony is one of the most painfully long and boring things that you could endure during the course of the year. I don't know, maybe you love it. Uh, and some of us, you may not care who wins these awards tomorrow, um, but there are people who take an interest in, in film and, uh, of course, the most coveted awards that we'll see handed out tomorrow are for Best Picture and Best Director. Uh, and, of course, uh, these awards for uh, Best Actor that the nominees are. Uh, all, uh, by all accounts, it's going to be a showdown between Elvis and, uh, and Brendan Fraser. I can't remember. You, who's seen The Whale? What's the character's name? Okay, moving on. All right. Um, and the Best Actress category, uh, apparently this is going to be a, a toss-up between our Kate and, um, and Michelle from Everything Everywhere All at Once, which I have still yet to see. In fact, you know, I haven't seen any of those films, so I really don't know who's going to win. Uh, now, one of the things that's a bit nauseating about the Academy Awards are the speeches, uh, the actors and the actresses. It's always full of such great self-importance. You know, you'd think these people were changing the world. Uh, but if you can get past all of the self-congratulations, I think you do have to admit that there is a great skill in being an actor. Very few people can do it well. Uh, and if you doubt that, uh, just tune into Home and Away sometime and you'll see how true that is. But to stand on a stage or in front of a camera and to take on a character, to pretend to be someone else, to make that believable, uh, it is a unique craft. Now, here's a bit of trivia for you. Did you know that the Greek word for actor is the word hypocrite? And if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. See, an actor and, and a person that we would label a hypocrite, they're kind of doing the same thing, aren't they? They're both pretending to be someone else, pretending to be someone that they're not. Uh, they, they're wearing a kind of mask. There's a performance going on. But I do wonder how many people would want to win an Academy Award if the awards were renamed uh, Best Hypocrite or, or Best Supporting Hypocrite. Now, Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 talks about a kind of acting, a kind of hypocrisy that we're all in danger of. And Jesus summarises what he's getting at and what follows in these next 18 verses. They're in verse 1 of chapter 6. Jesus says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, that all sounds very much like something Jesus would say, uh, but if you've got fresh in your memory something that Jesus has said probably not one minute earlier in this sermon, remember these words from back in chapter 5? Jesus said this, he said, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So which is it, Jesus? Should we be wanting people to see our good deeds or should we do them in secret? Well, I think the key word in verse 1 there of chapter 6 
or key words, I should say, is the expression to be seen by them. So the issue is really about whether we're doing the things that we do in order to be seen by others. The problem lies with our motivation. Are we doing good things? Are we doing these righteous acts that Jesus talks about here so that God would be praised? Or are we doing them so that we would be noticed or or be thought well of by others to get the praise and respect that may come our way because of them? It all comes down to our motives. See, in the passage that follows, Jesus criticises people for doing three things. He criticises them for fasting, for praying and for giving to the poor. Three basically good things. Three things that would have been central to the religious devotional life of any good Jewish person of the day. And Jesus here wants to say that it's possible to do the most religiously good things but to be doing it all wrong. See, for Jesus, it's not just about the action itself. It's always about the motivation behind it. Uh, Much like what we saw last week. This is very much a continuation of what Jesus was teaching last week when he was talking about the law. Um, We saw there that it's what's in our hearts that really matters to God. And so let's have a look at what Jesus has to say about these things. Firstly, what he has to say about giving. Uh, He picks up from verse 2 and that's the first thing he starts talking about. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. When the hypocrites give, Jesus says, they like to do it publicly. And if the the thing is they want everyone to see what they're doing, and if if possible even, to see just how much they're giving. Now, I think we all feel this temptation, don't we? People like to be noticed when they're giving money away. Um, You see it in our society all the time. Uh, Certainly when corporations or organisations give, uh, they like everyone to know, and very often they'll have these large, ridiculous dummy checks that accompany the moment where the, the gift is given. Or or if they're going to sponsor a particular charitable organisation, they like to have their company logo plastered all over that charity's website. It's good publicity, isn't it? Now, we shouldn't be so cynical to think that corporations only give in order to be acknowledged for it. I'm sure there's often a genuine desire to do good, to give back, a genuine concern for the cause that they're supporting. But it's also true that they almost never want it to go unnoticed either. They want to get their credit for it as well. But it's not just in the corporate world. Hypocrisy can be found everywhere and in churches as well. Uh, There are Christians who only want to give so that people will see what they are doing, so that people will be impressed by their generosity. Uh, It's always a concern, isn't it, if the gift needs to be attached to a a big plaque with someone's name on it, um, attached to the thing that they gave. Uh, I've been in a church, it wasn't in Australia, thankfully, um, where each week uh, the, the 
gifts that people gave, the contributions they gave to the church, the names and the amount of the money were read out publicly um, in the service. I pitched that to our session to do that here, but they weren't on board with it. I saw a new church building where they had a, <clears throat> a plaque on it that had a list of all the people who donated to the building of the church and the amount of money that they gave. That does seem to be very much at odds with what Jesus is saying here, doesn't it? Um, Ray Galea uh, is a pastor out at MBM at Rudy Hill. He reckons it should be compulsory to write underneath any donation plaque in a church, reward paid in full. Because that's what Jesus is saying, isn't it? He says, if you're doing this for the praise of others in order to be noticed, well, consider that you've already got your reward. If the reason you give is so that people will think well of you, it's because you want people to know that you're a generous type of person, then Jesus labels you a hypocrite, an actor, little more than a performance to be seen. Of course, you can fool me, but... God sees right through that, even if others can't. So how should Jesus' disciples give? Well, he calls upon us to do it in a discreet way. Uh, the image he uses is not letting the left hand know what the right hand is doing. There's a, a kind of innocence, an integrity about it, that you would be comfortable with the fact that no one else might ever find out about what you've done. Now, it's not terribly natural, is it? I mean, if I'm going to be giving my money away, there's that little voice that says, make sure that doesn't go unnoticed. Make sure someone else gets to hear about this. Now, I think we need to be careful not to push this too far in one direction. I don't think there's anything wrong with being thanked uh, or for us to publicly acknowledge someone's generosity or their service. In fact, we've got plenty of examples of people doing just that in the Bible. But the question Jesus wants to keep coming back to and presses upon us here is what motivated you to give? Did you do it so you would be noticed and thanked and thought well of? Or did you do it out of a desire to serve God or to meet someone else's need? And if that was your motivation, would you be happy for that to be kept secret? Okay, Jesus next moves on to the topic of prayer. Pick it up there in verse 5. He says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And when you pray, oh, sorry, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Uh, the great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon, uh, when he was talking about this passage, he liked to tell the story of an article that showed up in a Boston newspaper describing a prayer given in a public setting. Uh, and the, the newspaper reported on this prayer and said it was the finest prayer ever offered to a Boston audience. Jesus had obviously heard some kind of performance praying in his time as well. I think there's a danger when praying in public this temptation is to, to say things uh, in the, the hope of impressing others with our words, to concentrate on the audience uh, rather than on God. And I think it's a worry when you find yourself using 
special words and special phrases, even perhaps a special voice that you would never normally use when praying. Jesus says the hypocrites are those who pray so that others will think well of them, so that others will be impressed. Now, we don't want to be overly judgmental and critical of how other people pray. Sometimes people have come from a different Christian tradition um, and have been taught to pray in a particular way, and it may just be different to what you're used to or what you've heard before. But again, the, the issue that Jesus wants to keep coming back to is the matters of the heart, what is on your heart, whether it's about being seen to look impressive and pious or, or deeply religious, rather than prayer being simply an expression of your relationship with God. And so Jesus provides a model for us. He says, when you pray, go into your room and keep it between you and God. I don't think Jesus is saying we should never pray in public. Jesus prayed in public, prayed before his disciples um, in lots of contexts. But I think what he's saying is what's done in secret is a better indication of where your motives lie. It's kind of a safeguard against the hypocrisy that he's challenging here. And so while we're on the subject of prayer, Jesus has a couple more things he wants to say about it. He says, don't babble on like pagans who think they're going to be heard because of their many words. Many of the other religions back in those days thought that their gods would hear them if they kept up a mantra of prayers. Plenty of religions today still apply the same logic, don't they? The idea seems to be that if you say it enough times, you might eventually wear down your deity and get their attention. Or perhaps if you pray often enough, you kind of earn the right to be heard because of that devotion that you've displayed. But Jesus tells and warns his disciples against praying like that. Don't pray mindlessly. Don't think that the words and the, the multiplication of words are the things that count. He says, your father cares for you. He knows what you need even before you ask him. But there's an irony in what Jesus goes on to say, because I think the very place where Jesus tells his disciples not to babble on like pagans he then goes on to give us a model of prayer that I would suggest has probably been babbled by more Christians in all of the church's history. He gives us the Lord's Prayer. Now, I didn't grow up in a church where the Lord's Prayer was said every week. Um, I realise that some of you did. Uh, I certainly got to memorise it when I went through more college at uh, Newtown there, and we had three Anglican prayer book services every week at chapel. Um, I won't pretend that I warmed to the idea of saying the Lord's Prayer every single time Christians met together. Um, I think there is a real danger with something like this of it becoming so familiar, um, either, whether it's the words of the Lord's Prayer or any set form of prayer. Um, the danger is, I think, that you no longer think about what you're actually saying. The danger is that it becomes exactly what Jesus is warning us against here, a, a babbling of words. Now, it doesn't necessarily follow that that has to be the case, but we need to be wary of it. What Jesus is giving us here in the Lord's Prayer is a pattern for praying. He tells us that when we pray, these are the kinds of things that we ought to be praying for. Pray that God's name would be honoured, that God's kingdom would come, that God's will might be done, 
We're to ask God to provide for our physical needs, our daily bread. We should seek God's forgiveness for our sins and recognising the obligation that we have to forgive others. And we should ask for God's protection and guidance in life. Now, I don't think Jesus is saying these are the only things we should ever pray about. It's not an exhaustive list. But nor is he saying that we have to pray the exact form of words either, like we're encanting a kind of magic spell. Although, I don't think there's anything wrong at all with praying the exact words. No harm in that at all. We just need to be careful that we don't turn even this prayer into another act of hypocrisy where praying becomes about being heard by others rather than an expression of our relationship with God. Well, the final example Jesus goes on to give of what the hypocrites are up to, he talks about fasting. And that's there in verses 16 to 18. He says, When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Uh, Fasting was pretty common practice in Jesus' day. Uh, Interestingly, there's very little by way of commands in the Bible about the practice of fasting and how and why it should be done. Um, It certainly seems to have been a way that God's people in days of old humbled themselves before God, um, especially at times when they were hoping for God to deliver them in some way, both as individuals but also collectively as a nation. Um, They would sometimes do this. But by the time of Jesus, the Pharisees had made up very specific rules and regulations around the practice of fasting, Um, did it twice a week, in fact. And Jesus tells us that even in fasting, hypocrisy can take hold. That the people of his day were doing it to be noticed by men. They made sure that while they were fasting, they looked the part. They'd look all sombre and wear these downcast expressions, these pained expressions. I mean, this was genuine acting. This was a real performance. They wanted to make sure that people noticed, that people knew that they were doing this thing. Now, I can relate to this. I did the the 40-hour famine. Well, back when that was a thing, if you can remember the 40-hour famine. Um, But that weekend, well, I was going to make sure everybody knew that I wasn't eating, how hungry I was, how tired it was making me. It was not going to go unnoticed. No doubt everyone around me was sick of hearing about my self-righteous hunger pains. The practice of fasting in Jesus' day had stopped being about a devotion to God and again it was being done for the approval of others, for the appearance of righteousness and piousness. People wanted to display how deeply spiritual and sincere they were in their devotion. Now with each of these examples, Jesus gives us this simple advice. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't do things simply so that other people will be impressed. And the hypocrites, Jesus says, are doing the same thing in each example. They want the praise of others. And Jesus says, if that's what you're doing it for, well, then consider yourself duly rewarded. If being noticed is what you're after, 
If you want the praise and honour of other people, it's fine. But lap it up while you can, because that's all the reward you're going to get. Don't think that God is impressed. Don't think that God will reward you. However fine and noble this good thing is that you're doing. It's a kind of scary insight, I think, into how insidious sin can be. How deceptive our own hearts can be. You could give your fortune away, assuming you've got one. You could be responsible for curing cancer. But it will count for nothing with God if you did it to be seen, to have the acclaim and the praise of others. God has no love for a thing when it is done from the wrong place, with the wrong motive. He won't delight in the gift that we give. He won't hear the prayer that you pray. He won't draw near to those who are fasting. Because you've already got your reward. You've got the praise of others. Don't think you can go and double dip with God. So what about you and your motives? Does Jesus say anything here that makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable? Anything here that makes you squirm a little? Because I don't think it's just about praying and giving money um, or fasting if you do that as well. Not just in these things where we need to examine our motives. I think as we saw last week as well, we need to examine our motives in everything that we do. Your motivation for coming here on a Sunday morning or serving on the morning tea roster or going to visit someone who is unwell or preaching in church on a Sunday or taking a meal around to somebody or rocking up to Bible study midweek or your motivation in giving money to others or to support gospel ministry. It doesn't matter how righteous or good a thing it is that you're doing. If you're doing it to win the praise of others, if you're doing it so others will be impressed, if you're doing it so others will think well of you or to think you godly, well, Jesus called you out as a hypocrite. Let's examine our motives. Jesus is not saying we should stop doing these things. He wants us to carefully consider our reasons for doing them and to do them for the right reason. And like we saw in the passage last week, Jesus doesn't want a a superficial righteousness. He's not after an outward observance. He wants us to serve from the heart and with our whole heart. So let's try and be helpful to each other in this, to keep each other accountable as we can, And pray that God would keep us from all becoming terrible actors.